0: Nixon now, Nixon now, he's made the difference. He showed us how. Nixon
1: now, Nixon now, more than ever. Nixon now, listen, America. Nixon now. Welcome to Oopside Talk Politics, the left-wing political podcast where we talk about politics. I'm Ryan. I'm Sly. I'm Phil. And I'm Daryl. And we're here to talk about... Bum, bum, bum. Trump? Uh,
0: almost. <laughs> if I had
1: to compare Trump to any president, I would compare him to Richard Nixon.
0: Hmm.
2: Com- I'd might. probably <laughs> compare him to Andrew Jackson, but... Maybe Nixon, Andrew Jackson. Nixon, maybe Nixon's Andrew a good, more modern example.
3: Yeah, he yes. got Jackson's like populist streak and yeah, uh, Nixon yeah he's scrolled. like if
1: Andrew if Andrew Jackson and Richard Nixon had this horrible crime against God of a child <laughs> yeah, he's like in a
0: holy gumbo of terrible presidents,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we wanted to give a little historical context and talk a little bit about Richard Nixon because he's almost become an like an archetype in modern conversation where we kind of only talk about him as either the president of Futurama or the Watergate guy, the only president who resigned. And I feel like there's a lot more to talk about than just that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one of the things that's really important is to not forget about Watergate because it is still a big deal and he did still resign. (laughs) And especially as the Mueller investigation keeps going, we see constant, constant comparisons to Watergate. Mm -hmm. So, Daryl what what is watergate? yeah so so I,
0: out of the four of us i'm the one that knows the least about nixon so i did the research for the the watergate stuff and if you were like me hearing the term watergate conjures up a loose image of like the dnc break-in a tape saturday night massacre and i am not a crook all of which is accurate but let me properly frame it for you
3: he's not a crook that's accurate right daryl <laughs>
0: <laughs> in January 27, 1972, the final year of Nixon's first term in office, Gordon Liddy, who is the finance counsel for the CRP, which is the Committee for Re-election of the President, met with acting chairman of the CRP, the Attorney General and President Counsel J- uh, John Dean, approaching them with a special plan that involved burglaring the dnc headquarters at the watergate complex for various reasons that are actually still unknown today ranging from evidence that linked cuban funding to democratic campaigns the dnc chairman hiring prostitutes or records the dnc might have of illegal contributions to the nixon campaign
1: it would have been so much easier to just get the russians to hack their emails instead
0: (laughs) yeah also
2: i can't ever see crp without just thinking crap
1: See, I always, I always read it as creep. Yeah, it's, it's
0: actually derisively referred to as creep.
3: Uh, <laughs> I like crap better. I think Phil's right. May
0: 1972, uh, CRP members broke into the DNC headquarters, stole copies of top documents, and bugged at least two phones and got away with it. Now, if you're thinking, wait, they didn't get away with it. It's because on June 17th, they broke back into DNC headquarters <laughs> to repair the surveillance equipment. And they, they were caught when a patrolling guard noticed tape over a door latch... That makes it so the door closes but doesn't lock. And what's funny is that the guard had removed the tape from the door the first time, and when he returned, it was taped again, which prompted (laughs) him to call the police.
1: They're so dumb. Yep.
0: Five men were arrested and thus began the cover-up. The first thing investigators did was trace a check deposited to the bank account of one of the burglars all the way to the CRP, which, fun fact, in the 1976 documentary covering Watergate is where the term follow the money comes from. Uh, handing information to Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein during this time was an informant nicknamed Deep Throat, who was later revealed in 2005 to be deputy director of the FBI.
1: Do you know why he called Deep Throat?
0: No, I don't, actually. So,
1: at the time, there was a porno called Deep Throat, and... Oh, no, I, th- I thought the Deep
0: Throat... Like the name was before the porno. No, no. <laughs> oh, it's I know, from the,
1: the porn. They, they were like, they were like, oh, it's. We have sources on deep background. We have sources on deep background, and they're, and his editors were like mocking him, and they're like, more <laughs> like deep throat, am I right, guys?" And they're like, "I guess so." <laughs> Literally,
2: I had students making that joke. They're like, "Oh, deep throat," and I'm like. Yes, it is a reference to pornography.
1: <laughs> I did not. God
2: damn it! <laughs> oh. Fucking American history.
3: <laughs> oh, wait, wait! Wait till you see when we talk about our modern history right now. Like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Top kick. Yeah. Uh, despite reporting by the Washington Post and the New York Times, and despite on October 10th that the FBI reported that the Watergate break-in was part of a massive political spying and sabotage campaign on behalf of the CRP. Nixon was reelected on November 7th in one of the biggest landslides in U.S. history, 520 to 17.
3: Oh, my God. I think that was against uh, McGovern, like.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. A Senate committee to uh, look into the Watergate burglary was set up in February 1973, and as the investigation broadened into April, it was clear that Nixon was going to get dirtied from this, so Presidential Counsel John Dean suggested that Dean himself and three other White House aides, Halderman, Mitchell and Ehrlichman take the fall for it. Each of them ended up resigning and Nixon fired John Dean. They testified before a grand jury about the events and indicated that they felt they were being recorded in the Oval Office, to which a White House assistant confirmed in July that, they, that uh, the, rec- the recording devices had been set up. A month prior, the new attorney general had appointed Archibald Cox as special counsel to the Watergate investigation, <laughs> and it was Cox that subpoenaed for the White House tapes to be released. I also had to hear jokes
2: about Cox afterwards. Oh, though, yeah. By the way. Yeah, okay. So, great, great job, Nixon.
0: Yeah. Nixon refused, however, citing his executive privilege as president, and ordered Cox to drop the subpoena.
1: Hey, that sounds kind of familiar.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Isn't that what Sessions and Bannon said?
0: Cox refused, and on October 20th, 1973, Nixon ordered the attorney general to fire the special prosecutor, thus starting the Saturday Night Massacre. The Attorney General refused, then resigned, and so Nixon ordered the Deputy Attorney General, who refused, then resigned, and finally the Solicitor General agreed to do so. Which, I actually, I didn't realize it was only, like, two guys that resigned.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But then the firing, too, so it's like... <laughs> yeah, well, like it's three. three,
0: but I mean, like, there are like, four guys that resigned from his presidency, like, months before... yeah Yeah. these actions were highly criticized by the public on november 17th is when nixon famously said his i am not a crook line to associated press and by march 1st of 1974 seven former aides of nixon had been indicted in april the nixon administration had released some of the white house tapes which contained material that did irreparable damage to nixon's image portraying him as profane despite the white house actually editing out the expletives Uh, vindictive and contemptuous of um, the United States and its people. The editors of the Chicago Tribune, a newspaper that had supported Nixon against the slanders of the Washington Post during the election, wrote, and let's see if any of this sounds applicable, Nixon is humorless to the point of being inhumane. He is devious. He is vacillating. He is profane. He is willing to be led. He displays dismaying gaps in knowledge. He is suspicious of his staff. His loyalty is minimal." Mm. in july of 1974 the supreme court ruled that nixon's claims of executive privilege over the rest of the tapes was void and they were subsequently subpoenaed
2: yeah one of the only maybe the only president to actually have a case versus the united states yeah
0: supreme court i was wondering when i saw that united states v nixon like wow
2: yeah that's a big that's a big case it's a landmark case because it 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 gets rid of the idea of executive privilege. I mean, you don't have fucking executive privilege over Well, cuz we
1: still have the question the question now, can you charge the president with a crime? Yeah. Mm. Can you? It's still kind of undiscovered. Yeah. yeah.
0: These tapes contained pretty damning evidence about John Dean and the other White House aides that had turned themselves in. And though no tape was found that had, ordered Nixon, that had Nixon ordering the burglary, it was clear that he had not only knowledge of it, but he had supported initiatives to try and cover it up by prompting the CIA to tell the FBI to back off. Facing immediate and overwhelming impeachment, Nixon resigned on August 8th, and after Vice President Gerald Ford was sworn in, he pardoned Nixon, explaining that the Nixon family situation is an American tragedy in which we have all played a part. Uh, By the end of the scandal, 69 government officials had been charged, and 48 were found guilty. The highest prison sentence was 4.5 years for Gordon Liddy, the guy that masterminded the whole thing, and most served around six months a year in prison. So I guess the lesson here is that if you're rich, it's not too bad to commit perjury.
3: Oh, that's yeah, so that's a general. Rule. Oh yeah, <laughs> as a general for every crime, if you're rich, you can get away with a lot of things. Yep.
0: <laughs> and that that's the Watergate scandal.
3: So, well, <laughs> Phil, tell us about how great Nixon is. Talk <laughs> about how
0: great he is. But I will talk about one of
2: his probably most applauded moves, um, which is the the China situation. So, China. You don't, Ch- yeah, China? China. China. <laughs> So, for those of you who don't know, uh, how far do I go back? Uh, so, after the 1911 revolution in China, uh, <laughs> oh boy, China's dy- 2,000, 5,000 year old dynastic cycle ends, right? No more dynasties in China. They try to set up a and republic. And thousands
3: before that, you had Confucius. And yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: so, China was in this really weird situation where they're trying to become like a modern republic, but there, there are two major factions fighting for power in China the the Nationalist Party led by Chiang Kai-shek, and the Communist Party, um, which will later be led by Mao Zedong. And they're basically having a civil war over who will be in charge. They take a break from the civil war because of the Japanese invasion of World War II, they ally together, and then after World War II is over, they start killing each other again. I'm not gonna get too much into that stuff, but <laughs> essentially, 1940 is
3: just about how evil communism is. Yeah, I'm a monster for supporting it. Yeah, I'm gonna put you on
2: trial for Mao's crimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, essentially, the important thing here is 1949. The Chinese Civil War comes to an end. The communists win on the mainland, and the the Nationalist Party flees to Taiwan, where they set up the Republic of China so-called, because they consider themselves to be the rightful government of China still to today. And the communists set up the People's Republic of China in mainland China, which is what we call China today. Um, But because this was the Cold War now, and our main enemy was the Soviet Union, the U.S. and its allies did not recognize mainland China as a nation, actually. We recognized Taiwan as China. So even at the U.N., like the Taiwanese representative sat in the China seat.
1: <laughs> well, didn't tr- didn't Trump get into some trouble because he called Taiwan or something? He,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. he, he called Taiwan China, I think. Which <laughs> so for the for the first thirty years of communist rule in China, the U.S. did not recognize China as China. So they 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 were seen as like a rebel group, and in, in which the Taiwanese, the nationalists led by Chiang Kai Shek, would eventually take back the mainland. So fast forward to Nixon. It's the nineteen seventies now. Uh, obviously, these fuckers are not taking back the mainland. <laughs> um, and really, any day the, now, Phil. Any day now, maybe. <laughs> really, the big impetus though is not that they're not going to take back the mainland. It's that there is growing tension between the Soviet Union and China because for the early Cold War, there was seen to be like this unholy alliance from the America's perspective of communist powers, um, Soviet Union and communist China, but. For a variety of reasons, partially Stalin and Mao not getting along as, as people, there was there started to be this rift growing between the Soviet Union and China. and um, America, specifically Nixon saw this as an opportunity to to wedge America between the two nations. If we could get if we could open up talks with China again, we could really fuck around with the Soviet Union because now they're gonna be like holy shit, China's allying with America. And it forces China to then—China, who had started to see the Soviet Union as their enemy, kind of, like, ally with us against Soviet Union. So, in a really weird series of events where, kind of in a Trumpian way, Nixon didn't inform any of his staff, including the Secretary of State, was left <laughs> in the dark for all this. Literally, did not include his Secretary of State. Had Kissinger fly out to Pakistan and—because we had no formal communication with China because China— again to the United States is not a country. We don't recognize them. So a whole weird series of events where he when Kissinger goes to Pakistan and essentially tells them, Hey, we wanna talk with you, but they want Taiwan to they they basically wanted us to give up Taiwan because they, they had never tried to invade Taiwan because the US said we'll we'll defend Taiwan and, and they didn't want to get into a war with us. But Through a series of weird back shady maneuvers where literally you had American agents, like, sneaking around Pakistan with uh, sunglasses and hats on, (laughs) pretending to not be Henry Kissinger.
0: (laughs) This seems seems like the theme of all these, like, Nixon conspiracies. Yeah, literally,
2: literally a guy pretended to be kissinger sick from a meeting in pakistan drove away and the real kissinger put on a hat and glasses (laughs) and went and went to go meet with a representative from china oh
1: my god but
2: in the end the 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 effect was that we established formal communication with china nixon had a visit to china um much to the outcry of american right-wing people and communists in China the, the some communists in China actually thought Mao was betraying them by hmm. working with the capitalist dogs yeah naturally
3: Capitalist was get it right Phil yeah exactly
2: <laughs> a lot of people give some nixon uh give nixon some praise here because they say he's like kind of one of the only people who could have done it because he was a staunch anti-communist right hard hard right winger so if anyone else had tried to do this they would he would have been seen as like a communist sympathizer Oh, uh, like a but yeah. because nixon was like I fucking hate communism and then said but I'll I'll open up talks with China, even though he t- said 10 years before that, you know, I'll never talk with yeah, China or it's whatever. It's sort of like <laughs> you
0: would imagine, like, if Trump had made the Iran deal, it would be seen yeah. as much more favorably as opposed to Obama, the secret Muslim. Exactly. So so he's kind of given some credit there with opening up China, which
2: is, I will argue, a net positive for the world because, A, it, it made China have to act more reasonably because they want to stay in the on the US's good graces. It prevents a Soviet Chinese alliance, which I think I will argue is a net good for the world. And it opened up trade with a country that um had a lot of I, I think it ended up being good for both countries involved economically. Although I mean you can argue American manufacturing mm-hmm. was over but that would have happened somewhere uh, else. Uh I think would have happened anywhere else, even if it yeah, wasn't yeah, China.
3: Was, yeah, it's fucking capitalism.
2: Yeah. So um, fuck you workers. Yeah, fuck your workers. Uh, well, actually, here you go, Chinese workers. Fuck you, American workers. <laughs>
3: oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Chinese workers should treat like slaves, so, like... But so, they...
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, as opposed to starving on a farm, it's like...
3: <laughs> yeah, I, but I it's think... like... But, like, like, they, like, literally, like, ch- jump off their uh, buildings to try to kill themselves and stuff like that. Like, but trading
1: one crime for another. Yeah,
2: yeah and, and the average the average quality of life for a Chinese worker since Mao has gone up as a result of over, overship, overseas hmm. Uh, hmm. manufacturing. But, so this is one of those things that people kind of... It's a, it's a really out-of-character thing for Nixon. It was not something his administration signaled they were going to do. Literally, the Secretary of State wasn't in the pictures and was like, so pissed off. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? You're in China right now? You didn't even tell me where you were going? <laughs> like, so much, so much of this stuff was really out of left field, but I think... Out of left a...
3: field, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Working with yeah.
2: communists? <laughs> yeah, but I think ended up being a net positive for both countries and the world... And like he wanted, it really did, it really did scare the Soviet Union. They, like, shit their pants when they saw this happening.
1: (laughs) So, okay, so, Phil, speaking, you were talking about how he kept everyone in the dark. And I want to talk about something else that was Nixon kept people in the dark for, which was his foreign policy, I use the term loosely, in Cambodia. Mm. Now, I want to just warn listeners, this is, like, some heavy-duty stuff. It's it's a lot of talk about, like, genocide and everything. So if it's not something you want to hear, maybe skip ahead. Yeah, trigger warning, literally. Like Yeah, no, this is some serious, serious business. So I just want to give a little bit of context. It's not going to go as far back as Phil's. But Cambodia is a country in East Asia that was in Southeast Asia that was declared its independence in from France in 1953. And a the ruler from 1953 until the 70s Was Prince Sayanuk. I might be mispronouncing that. And basically, what he tried to do is he tried to stay neutral and independent. He was a real centrist. And throughout the early, the mid 60s, as the war in Vietnam started escalating, we started bombing Cambodia a little bit, but it wasn't really as serious as it got but we we started kind of pressuring them and in the mid 60s we tried to stage a coup to overthrow him so as you could imagine he kind of stopped playing the middle and started re- siding more with the north vietnamese and that's when he created what was what became known as the ho chi minh trail which was the trail through cambodia that north vietnamese soldiers took to get to south vietnam to keep during the war and so what happened was As they started getting, as they started supporting the North Vietnamese more and more, Nixon started to get, he started escalating it more and more and more. And to the point that in 1970, April 28th, 1970, he authorized a full invasion without telling his secretary of state or his secretary of defense. They found out about it when he issued a public statement to the American people. (laughs) And I just want to read this quote from, from... An event three days earlier, Nixon had dined with Kissinger and a friend, and afterward they watched Patton, a film about Army General George Patton. It was the sixth time Nixon had watched the movie, and Kissinger later said that when Nixon was pressed to the wall, his romantic streak surfaced, and he would see himself as a beleaguered military commander in the tradition of Patton. And I feel like that's a very Trump thing, is like, let's watch TV and pretend to be a big, strong soldier man. (laughs) But yeah, so the big thing that happens is Nixon decides in late 1969, early 1970 to really up the military presence in Cambodia to the point that he starts massive, massively bombing them. And again, this sounds kind of Trumpian to me. They have Operation Menu, where they, it's a series of bombings named breakfast, lunch, snack, dinner, supper, and dessert. And that was all of Operation Menu, and it com- it completely decimated much of Cambodia, and what ha- the thing that made that such a big deal, not only like did we kill up to... Some, some estimates are between 50,000 and 100,000 casualties. But what happened was during that time, Pol Pot was the leader of the Khmer Rouge, which was the Communist Party in Cambodia. And he was kind of like a small rebel group at the time. But what happened was during these bombings, they basically created this... They they used Kissinger as this perfect villain to gain their support against the capitalists. And I just want to read this quote from Sidney Schoenberg, who who was one of the big American reporters and he said this is the key thing that nobody wants to remember the khmer rouge at that time in 1970 were an annoying factor of cambodian life but they were i wouldn't say meaningless yet not able to overthrow the government and were not motivated enough and this provided them with a great recruitment tool they could point to all of this activity against them and people who were dying and they would point to the skies to the american planes that were bombing and say there's your enemy at that time the estimates of their strength were 3 to 5000 unconnected gangs of guerrillas with no central control but by the end of that war they were seventy to 100,000 f- and a very different beast. They become more brutal as time went on. So I think we gave them the enemy they needed to build themselves. And I think that people like Henry Kissinger, who's a master of his own brand of history, has to know somewhere inside of him that he built, that he was an architect of their growth. And that is the truth. So when by the time the war was wrapping up and we had our like secret under-the-table deals that will still protect North Vietnam... Pol Pot had risen to power and in 1975 completely took over Cambodia as their as it's their leader.
2: kind of like when you hear the criticism today of, like, the more we drone strike the Middle East, the more terrorists we create. Yes. It's like, if you're... It, PR is a thing, and if you're trying to, like, win over a country, bombing them usually doesn't work. And, mm-hmm. and just for a sense of scale, like, we dropped more bombs on Laos and Cambodia than both sides dropped in
3: all of World War II combined. Yeah. Like, wow. So many. (laughs) And also in the the modern context, like they really literally use that against you because uh, uh, in the drone psych episode, I mentioned this, but um, America would literally bomb weddings and stuff like that, like random civilian gatherings. Yeah. They'll bomb people, like people will try to pick up the wounded. Uh, So what, like groups like al-qaeda would do they would literally say hey your brother's dead over there don't if you join us we'll help you get your brother's corpse back and have a proper funeral like they literally use that as a recruiting tool for yeah. new terrorists was your brother's got killed we're gonna get his yeah. corpse back especially join us because
0: a really important thing that like i read an article on this that actually david Lara posted in our uh facebook group that was very interesting. Is that it's not only that they do this like egregious act of killing your family, it's that you have no recourse to deal with yeah. that. Like, yes, you can't, yeah. it's so difficult to get in contact with US representatives and look for any kind of reparations for what they've done, or yeah. even admittance of guilt or anything. Yeah, and yeah, especially that. It's really hard,
2: it's hard to deal with it. Like the military a, itself, like,
0: constantly just denies it. It's like, oh, well, we didn't hit this place or, so yeah. yeah
1: and the thing that the, the basically the the middle step there is we wanted to overthrow the prince so we we sta- we helped push a coup where we put in a like a more far right authoritarian figure lon nol and he became such a easy to a much easier to fight against villain propaganda wise and that became pol pot's like easy ride to win the civil war and We knew what was happening, because, like, here's another quote from Kissinger. Henry Kissinger said to Thailand's foreign minister in November 1975 that you should tell the Khmer Rouge that we bear no hostility towards them. We would like them to be independent as a counterweight to North Vietnam. He added that he should also tell the Cambodians that we will be friends with them. They are murderous thugs, but we won't let that stand in our way. We are prepared to improve relations with them. So, like, he mentions that they're a bunch of murderers. So that's... This is the the really, really disturbing part. So when the Khmer Rouge took over, what they initiated was what we eventually called the Cambodian Genocide. What he did was first they either kicked out or killed all of the foreigners. And then what they did was they became a hyper, hyper communist state where anyone... That was educated, so if you were a teacher, if you were a doctor, if you were anyone but a farmer. If you
2: wore glasses. If you wore glasses. Yeah. Yeah. You're a fucking bourgeois piece of shit. We're all yeah.
3: dead. I suppose Ryan's wearing glasses right now and me and- I don't yeah. have glasses. But yeah, but you
2: you you can use good words, so
3: oh,
1: dang. so I like Phil. He just speaks how talk. he talks. Normally, does he doesn't use good words like we do. <laughs> yeah. So what they what they would seriously do is they would take everyone from the cities. They would fully evacuate the cities, resettle them across the country in what later became called the killing fields. And what they would le- what they would do is force everyone to farm. And if anyone was like a teacher, professional, doctor, an intellectual, or what Pol Pot called the lazy elite. What they would do is they would torture them and murder them. And... At, at only 45 doctors remained by 1975, and only 7,000 out of 20,000 teachers were left alive.
2: I think, School, like, a, th- a third of the population dies by yeah, the end of it.
1: Schools were eliminated, books were burned, and they opened up roughly 150 jails across the country where they would literally just torture and kill anyone that wasn't just a farmer. Because he said, in the eyes of the state, the state controls everything, and... You are all just labor and it is, uh, you know, there is nothing, there is no rising above that. That's what you are. And if you try, you will be tor- tortured and murdered. And they killed about 2 million people. I believe uh, Popa never
3: faced a uh, trial for anything he did. Also, Yeah.
1: Well, uh, that's, I want to just give a quick epilogue to that. So that's all like Nixon was just like, I want to win Vietnam peace with honor as he called it by overthrowing a government and allowing a genocidal maniac to take over and murder a third of the country what
0: did was was like when the cambodia massacre was going on was that nixon's problem or ford's problem
1: no no you're right you're right so so nixon even though nixon was already gone by the time the genocide started kissinger we we knew about the Khmer rouge and it I'm not saying these are exactly the same, but I do think there's a lot of parallels with what we did during the Cold War when we helped fund and radicalize a lot of terrorist groups in the Middle East and also like some of the some of the groups that we have funded throughout the Syrian crisis. I think it's there is an element of our foreign policy that has always been the enemy of our enemy as our friend. And the thing that I want to talk about just very briefly is kind of as an epilogue is how American policy went after Nixon. Is so the genocide officially ended in 79, but Pol Pot stayed in power until I think the 90s.
3: Yeah, I think so too. It was around that time.
1: Yeah. And what happened was even during the Carter presidency, the Carter administration, according to the New York Times, the Carter administration helped arrange continued Chinese Chinese aid and encouraged the Chinese to support Pol Pot. So even though Nixon opened relations with China, we used we used those relations to push them to keep backing up Pol Pot. And we recognized the Khmer Rouge as the legitimate government of Cambodia. They had a seat at the United Nations mm-hmm. and we all gave diplomatic support to that administration. All, and we didn't even call it a genocide until 1989 so that we didn't hinder the efforts to back the guerrilla movement. And it wasn't until 1997 that we actually tr- said that we should take these people to trial and Pol Pot escaped into the jungle and died the following year. So no one ever actually faced justice yeah. because of this genocide. Hopefully he
3: died and, a, a painful death in the woods or something yeah, like that.
1: hopefully. But that's... Just we could talk about Nixon opening relations or any like whatever. But this to do this level of so clear overthrowing a government and letting such a villain take over, Mm -hmm. I think, takes a special kind of war criminal. Yeah, I
2: agree. Mm.
1: And and I think it's especially important to talk about Cambodia nowadays because we, this isn't, Cambodia's not the only country we did this with. Maybe it's the most clear cut, maybe it's the most heinous.
3: Oh, it's not the only country. I, to, I, know, I know, but, but that's the what I'm saying. Too is the, Cambodia
2: and Laos in particular, because so much ordinance was dropped on these countries, like I was saying, like literally more than all of World War II bombs combined, a lot of it is unexploded still or landmines. And today, like in Laos and Cambodia, like kids still die every year if you go off a, a, a known path, like you actually have a chance of just setting off an explosive in the in the ground and so there are there are like NGOs that go and like literally try to Mind sweep these countries yeah. hmm. here's
1: here's a here's a paragraph about a Cambodian eyewitness. He said three f one elevens bombed right center in my village, killing eleven of my family members. My father was wounded but survived. at that time, there was not a single soldier in the village or in the area around the village. twenty seven other villagers were also killed. They had run into a ditch to hide and then two bombs fell right into it. So if you have like why would this village ever support america ever yeah and the reason why this is so important to bring up like i was saying before is we do this all the time we are constantly overthrowing governments and backing rebel groups and you know it almost always comes back and bites us in the ass and even you could talk about it Morally or hum- humanitarian from a humanitarian perspective. And that's one thing. But if you're going to be cold and military calculating and everything, it's still like you can't give weapons to Saddam Hussein to fight the Russians because then he's going to be our enemy. Ten. But years I later. think the it's like it's like one of those things that for, from when
2: you're calculating your options, the. Short term definite benefit outweighs the long term potential problem because it's not always going to be a problem. Like, it, yeah. not it's not, it wasn't a guarantee that those mujahideen in Afghanistan formed together and the Taliban won and took yeah. over. It was just like it, it was a possible outcome that they just said it's worth the risk to kick the Soviets mm-hmm. out.
1: But it's, but I feel like our memory is so short that we we don't think that through anymore. Like, wasn't Osama bin Laden from the family that we were bolstering in Saudi Arabia? Yeah.
3: We never did that before. We didn't... We, once you started going to a global scale, we, were, we almost immediately started doing this shit. Like... And
1: I understand you have to play politics, you support some, you know... Well, there's also genocides we've stopped, you know? Yeah. By Like, that, I'm not and, saying... And I wonder
2: if... I, I, We definitely caused the, the destabilization of Cambodia, but, like, the Khmer Rouge after that point, like was being funded almost fully and trained by China. So at what point does it become an international responsibility besides, yeah. you know what I mean?
1: But I'm saying like, I feel like we never, most of our, especially the super, super gung ho military people in this, in our country, America, don't connect those dots often. Yeah, right. And like, especially when you have someone like Trump, who's like, we'll just blow him up. We'll just do this. We'll just do this do yeah. this. And like, look at like, We entered into the Iraq war and the Afghanistan war without exit plans, without knowledge of the region, without a uh, like, just look at Vietnam. Like France had the same exact problems in Vietnam. We had a decade earlier. They had a decade earlier than we did and we didn't learn anything. We're like, Oh, they're France. We could just do it better. We're America. But like, that's the kind of thing that, I feel like things like these, these like the Cambodian genocide is something that nobody ever talks no about. No one ever talks
3: about any of this, any of America's interventions. I know. During the, during yeah, 18th. and
1: it's something that more important than ever, I think, because there's a reason why the whole world is so destabilized, and we have to start looking at these things with that lens.
3: But it's also important to do this because people who, uh, will turn around Americans. The, people who, who, the type of people who exactly cause these situations will turn around and, and act like. Then they're naturally this shitty. Oh, well, these areas are naturally going to yeah, be this th- shitty. Th- like, yeah, that's, areas that's, that's super I that had democracies and shit like that. Being like, everywhere else is us.
0: uneducated and terrible, and I don't want immigrants yeah. from these places we bombed
3: coming in because they're going to be terrible, naturally. Yeah. And then you have, like, the, the worst example of that is the people who are like, oh, how do we solve the Middle East problem? Oh, we nuke them till they glow and shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. we literally want to kill everyone in that area. That, uh, when, when they're victims of a mistake we made. Yeah. It's uh... awful. Like I said, that wasn't the only example of American interventionism. Americans have been interve- intervening in uh, other countries like since we started becoming a global power, really, since we broke our isolationist streak. Yeah, exactly.
2: It's probably, uh, probably like starting with like, the Spanish American War, like exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're like, hey, these savages are ruled by Spain, and Spain treats them badly, but we would be better rulers. <laughs> yeah, and then we usually
3: are not. But like Phil said, like we pretty much started around that time. So Nixon was like the first person to be shitty towards south america which faced a lot of the blunt of our shittiness he was not the worst, uh, first one to be shitty of south america you can look up what happened in Grenada, cuba guatemala and haiti all those countries what we Honduras, did to them el salvador yeah like all these places yeah like we yeah. we were horrible to south uh, south america like but uh, nixon had one particular one uh so brian talked about how shitty communism is i'm gonna talk about how shitty uh neoliberalism is uh <laughs> talking about the origins of neoliberalism there's a great documentary on this, uh, the Shock Doctrine by Norman Klein, which is where I first like got to, got to this information. Because when people talk about neoliberalism, they a uh, lot of times I didn't even notice until I watched the documentary like a year ago. I knew neoliberalism was shitty just because of like how like how much this promotes like wealth inequality and all this shit. I did not know it is uh, so mired in uh, blood even before we got into the Middle East. Because some people say the oh, Middle East is when neoliberalism got really like uh, really started polluting. American politics, but no, it was uh, in South America.
1: So was that was that documentary the gamma bomb that turns you into the milk toast Hulk that we made? <laughs> <today? laughs> I was very, right, I was very. Right, I'm a neoliberalism. That's, I'm, that's when I became a gray Hulk, basically. <laughs> that's when you stop. You instead of yelling about Wolverine, you started yelling about lead neoliberalism. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so yeah, according to the 1975 Church Commission report, basically in um, Chile, uh, Chile just uh, uh, elected in 1970 the first uh, socialist. A Marxist president of a Latin country through open elections, uh, Salvador Allende. He was a doctor from the region. Uh, Chile elected him a, as the president. It was it was like you know, the typical like slim majority, uh, third party kind of shit. Like thirty uh, percent of the population voted him. So people defend this saying, "Oh, that's why it's okay. The only thirty percent voted for him. That's why what we did to him is okay." But it was still a democratic elected process that they and it was a process they used for for decades. They were one of the first ones to have a democratic process in South America, but we fucked that over. But yeah, so the CIA, according to Church Commission report, we spent over eight million dollars in three years between nineteen seventy and the coup that eventually took over, uh, that eventually overthrew Allende's democratically elected government and uh, caused his uh, suicide. Uh, we spent eight million between nineteen seventy and between that and that coup, the three years before that, and we spent three million in nineteen seventy-two alone. And uh, we've basically been uh, covertly interfering in every single Chilean election since nineteen sixty-three. Because Chile, because uh, Nixon was afraid that Chile will become another Cuba if they became socialist, so he wanted to make sure. Basically, mentality like now we, like during the during the Cold War, we thought terrorists were better than Soviets, uh, and that was our mentality for the Middle East. But during the in in the South America region, our mentality was right wing dictators were better than communists, like.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Or anyone who is anti-communist is better than that. Yeah, communists. even though
3: mm-hmm. like like like, like if you, if the blur line between far dictatorial communism and fascism is really blurry. But but, the,
2: but no, there the the big distinction cuz they would they probably rule almost the same. Yeah, they rule the, the big same. distinction is one of them would be allies with the Soviets yeah. and one of them wouldn't. And is that's Pol really Pol
1: Pot, Is Pol Pot like the only communist we decided to back? I don't think he is, but I, I can't think of any other. Um... I can't think of any either. We, with someone so great, we had to make one exception.
2: <laughs> we also like we backed him like very uh, subtly, as opposed to like we literally were like we we'll yeah. assas- for some other people. we like we'll assassinate anyone who yeah. opposes you.
3: But but also uh, in the same vein, I, another reason uh, uh, that they probably, on top of the Soviet Russia, uh, like being likely allies. Also, when you have a right wing dictator, they're more likely to be capitalist in their economy, and they'll yep. they'll they'll, disab- they'll get rid of socialist programs, and that's what they did in. Chile wants to take over. They got rid of like they have one of the best like healthcare systems, one of the best education systems, and they basically privatize all that shit. You know, give it to the. Well, of. the
2: American uh, the American uh, reasoning behind that is always when the socialist governments take over, they take American companies' land and turn it. Uh, pri- they turn it nationalized. Yes. And the- these companies go to the American government and they're like, they took my fucking factory. Yeah, and, and so and and then- that's yeah. not...
3: A lot of our uh, action in countries. That's why we took over Iran. Uh, was because country companies come to us saying, please help us, we want We want this land here, please help yeah,
0: us. It, it's kind of interesting how, like, because nowadays you get a lot of talks about, like, the corporations versus government, or you see, like, evidence of it, but I didn't realize it extends all the way back to corporations back in, like, the 70s asking America uh, before, for help. Yeah.
2: Uh, 1910s, they were like, oh. uh, the, the Central American uh, co- countries took the banana fields from us, and they're, they're nationalizing it. And we literally sent the Marines to invade these countries and take them over and oh, give wow. Chiquita Banana. Oh well, yeah, they yeah. Called, they were called United Fruit Company, but now they're Chiquita Banana. We literally invaded these countries to give Chiquita Banana their fields
3: back. I believe that's where Banana Republic, the term comes it, it from. It is. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. So yeah. I
2: didn't know that at all. We yeah. set up. We set up American funded governments there, for banana companies. We should <laughs> like.
3: You should really not buy bananas at all. Like uh, I stopped eating them a long time ago because they have a bloody history. But, but they're uh, so But good. they're good, yeah. And, and also, they are now sold by those countries without uh, American troops forcing them to. Well, that's nice, at least. <laughs> but, yeah, so back to Chile. Yeah, so uh, we never, like, had any, like, right confirmation connected to the 1973 coup, and it's just, it seems like a technicality to me. Like, we uh, spent so much money trying to stabilize our economy. We cut off foreign aid. We staged multiple coups that we were directly cu- cu- tied to. Like, in 1970, we staged a coup. We tried to get a military leader, but the military leader, we tried to get on our side said no fuck you and we shot and and in the in the turmoil we shot him and killed him and uh, later his family sued us so like uh, we were tied to all these clues. we stabilized like nixon told the cia make their economy scream those were those were exact words make their economy scream and that's what people liberals like, excuse all this shit, saying oh but uh chile's economy is doing so poor uh, and uh after we took over it started doing so well so it was such a good thing so, even though we that's one thing we do we we sabotage uh socialist economies and then we, when we take them over, we're like now we're doing good because we're not destroying them anymore. Now we're helping them with our fucking money. But uh, yeah, so yeah, 1973. Eventually, Pinochet uh, had his coup. Uh, Pinochet was a, became, was a dictator. He was leader of the military. And like I said, we never uh, directly connected us to to Pinochet taking over. But we we were trying to make a coup according to internal documents. Like we want to at least set the stage for a coup through our actions, and we were a part of several coups during that time. So. And, and, the, and the CIA knew this course was happening like um, they knew the date was supposed to be staged and stuff like that so and we helped Pinochet afterwards so if you say like oh we didn't technically help him we did everything but basically uh, help him directly we did everything else essentially that wasn't Kissinger that was a man in sunglasses and a hat yes yeah. yeah, this article is from New York Times it pissed me off because it's about Pinochet <laughs> after he died it's about his legacy and it's so fucking milquetoast sent me a liberal piece of shit it keeps on talking about how Che was doing so well after economically wise. Basically, Pinochet, when he finally brought back the constitu- brought a new constitution like 10 years later and stopped being a dictator, uh, he-, he expected people to praise him for all his economic success. But the, the article says, but people must have been too young by-, by then to notice how much of a difference his rule made because they all voted him out immediately and voted for a leftist leader right, right away. And it's, it's such a fucking motus article. And it, it triggered me and I started a fight with Phil and everyone afterwards. <laughs> after but anyway, uh, to describe Pinochet's uh, government, so the was, uh, under Pinochet, the press was censored, labor strikes, unions were banned, the National Intelligence Directorate or DNA prosecuted, uh, they basically became the secret police of Chile. They persecuted, tortured, killed Pinochet opponents. Within the Chile, It's uh, outside beyond borders, a government commission report in 2004 concluded that almost 28,000 people have been tortured during the general's rule. Uh, tens of thousands of Allende's were rounded up and brutally interrogated. A majority of the killings uh, took place in, even after resistance ended. So it wasn't like part of, part of the war. It was uh, after resistance ended, they were still torturing supporters. And a, lot of people, uh, prison- a lot of times prisoners from a slum or agrarian community would be executed as a way of terrorizing neighbors. They will pretend, oh, that prisoner's escaping, and they'll execute him and send a signal to other people Like this is what happens if you try to defy us. And so, uh, and Pinochet, even after he was voted out of office, uh, he still set himself up as a military leader, and he basically protected all, everyone, all of his allies, from uh, any uh, prosecution. He basically said, uh, as soon as you touch any of my allies, this rule of law will end. Like, I'm back to being dictators, Like, don't, don't press your luck. Don't try to prosecute me for war criminals, war crimes, or anything like that because you're basically, by, by, the, by the grace of me, not even by the grace of God, by the grace of me, you're, you're fucking country standing. Until finally, uh, when he left uh, Chile, and uh, Brandon arrested him, and when he finally came back to Chile, he basically suffered lawsuit after lawsuit, and basically lived in disgrace. So he, has, he never got a trial for it, but he did get disgraced, kind of. But America supported him all, all during his entire, entire uh, dictatorship. The, the His economic policy was actually neoliberalism, and to the point that Milton Freeman, the, the creator of neoliberalism uh, that I mentioned before, uh, his, his students, uh, trillion students from his from his school, actually went to and became the heads of Pinochet's government. Like, they were installed <laughs> as, as heads of Pinochet's government. Jesus. Yeah, they, they were called the Chicago Boys because they came from Chicago. And, yeah. and, and um, uh, Milton Freeman actually went to meet Pinochet himself. Like, he was very closely connected to that government and its success. And... Milton Freeman uh, like he even got criticism at the time like people were, well, would protest him saying he's supporting a fucking dictator, a brutal dictator in in middle in uh in South America and they were calling him a monster because uh, he's a fucking monster. fuck Milton Freeman forever hashtag <laughs> yeah. and uh, I could go on about all the shit that Pinochet did, but the basically just of it is this is where neoliberalism actually started. This was the first big experiment in neoliberalism uh, eventually even grew from this there's a, there's a thing called Operation Condor with Pinochet's government and all the other neoliberal. Uh, governments in South America, Paraguay, Chile, Uruguay, Bolivia, Brazil, and Argentina, they all teamed up to basically go after uh, leftists, union leaders, priests, nuns, teachers, intellectuals, basically like, you know, intellectuals too. So they were doing the same thing that the fucking mm-hmm. communists were doing. Not not the same level, because uh, Paul is a unique kind of monster, but mm-hmm. uh, neoliberals still do the same shit when given the power. And it's estimated around at least 60,000 deaths can be attributed to Operation Condor. And, mm-hmm. um... America was financially and uh, giving military aid to this, op- this operation. So communism is fucking terrible and, and it's, it's very common now just to criticize com- you know like modern communists like me uh, uh, for being a piece of shit because I support the idea of Marxism and maybe like a, uh, a more subdued not much more subdued, but more democratic uh, view of version of communism than the ones uh, dictators had. But I get mm-hmm. criticized for that, that connection, but no one ever criticizes neoliberals for the connection to the shit in uh, South mm-hmm. America, which I think is bullshit. It's fucking I think bullshit.
2: It, I th- I've I've seen, at least in the past few years, like people went after Clinton for her connections to Kissinger and like other
3: types of I think of that's poli- starting now. It's starting now, yeah. but not historically. It's not very historical. Yeah. yeah, No, definitely yeah. not.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fuck Pinochet and Nixon. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, communism is a piece of shit, but neoliberalism is also a, fu- um, a policy of monsters too. But Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I agree. It's, I think the reason I, I I'm more harsh on communism. Well, first of all, it's because our group is mostly more hard left-leaning people. So I I feel like I need to be counterweight, but also because it's like when, when you compare the scale, I know you, like you already acknowledged this, but like all of the brutal right-wing dictatorships, they, they pale in comparison to Russia, to China, to North Korea, to, uh, to Pol Pot. Like the, the amount of actual wide scale destruction, killing disruption of the society Disruption of culture too, like they they these neoliberal shitholes uh, that 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 do the same type of shit where they're killing teachers and stuff. Like they never the scale is always so much bigger in these communist societies.
3: Not not to defend Uh, the the, these monsters, but I do wonder because one of the reasons they're so brutal is because they're so paranoid of of capitalists. They're so paranoid of capitalist intervention, and the ones that weren't paranoid, like Chile, they got taken over. So yeah, and th-
2: there's an argument to be made there. I think that that they're this is a more militant version of communism because they're fighting capitalism yeah. constantly. But it's like it's also I think the mentality of like you dedication to this to state like the state is definitely everything. definitely yeah. Mm. 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 But I mean, really fuck a lot of these people. Both yeah. sides are just as bad. Fuck <laughs> yeah. oh, it turns sorry. out it turns
3: out a lot of uh, uh, foreign policy in the 1900s was just monstrous all around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah especially because.
2: Everyone's just like, I gotta look out for my country first. And if that means fucking genociding other people, like, yeah. if it helps my country. if genocide if country... your own people. Not just other well, people, your own people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned, like, a lot of these groups are fringe groups originally until they get support. Like, yes, um, yeah. Ryan mentioned the Khmer Rouge. Even, like, you look at 1930s Germany, the Nazis were seen as a joke party. Like, yeah. like no one ever took them seriously. And over time, as they had more groups to blame for various reasons uh they they gained popularity yep. even though like like the Khmer Rouge they're seen as a a fringe group even but when ISIS. fringe groups take charge yeah when fringe groups take yeah. get more power
3: like they go hard yeah yep. and especially in times of economic struggle yeah. you get the Kekistan voting in the president basically yeah, yeah.
1: Did you want to mention a couple of Nixon's domestic things? Like? Yeah, I,
3: I want to mention a few of the domestic things. Like the EPA, right? He's great yeah, president. Yeah. That's <laughs> a, the that's that's funny thing about Nixon because Nixon, uh, he gets credit because he's he was very, uh, he's not credited as a neoliberal president typically because he's only liberal in how he applied it to other countries. Domestically, he was pretty liberal, like liberal for the time, like Eisenhower the type of president. Yeah, that's what yeah. I yeah. would say. Like, not very progressive. Yeah, yeah. He's not progressive. I, I, I should clarify. Uh, but like he was uh, he was still following the trend of like uh, Johnson and the Great Society and shit like that. Yeah. The establishment right. of the EPA and shit
1: like that. I, as a, as a big LBJ fan, you just broke my heart. I know. I, I,
3: yeah, I'm going to talk about how he, he while, while he was doing this, he tried to kill uh, Great Society in his crib. But yeah. Like, but I just want to bring it up because a lot of his fun, domestic policy was still shit. Well, we have uh, the Sovereign strategy, which was him, after... The Civil Rights uh, Act was passed under Johnson. Uh, basically, a lot of uh, disf- people, lot of white people, felt disaffected affected by the Civil Rights Act. Felt like, oh, we got like now. Could you yeah. imagine white people feeling persecuted when someone <laughs> else was given almost the same rights as them? Yeah. So you had like this. That's when the shift from uh, a lot of the races shifted from uh, Democrats to Repub- Republican because uh, Democrats were the one that passed the bill, and Republicans mm-hmm. uh, fully embraced it. Nixon had a similar strategy where you know they'll they'll use dog whistle tactics to tr- and try to. Uh, appease uh, the disaffected white voters to try to get votes. Like I forget where it was, but I remember Reagan, like literally opened his started his campaign like in like one of the first one of the first areas that declared the the Confederacy or something like that. Like they have all these tactics yeah. to try to basically say I'm on your side. Well, these people are trying to take away our life and shit like that. That kind of tactic. Mm-hmm. That's one part of his racism. Other part of his racism was the war on drugs. Uh, Nixon, you know, we, uh, you, have the, uh, you have the war on drugs. It's a uh, bloated fucking war we have in our own citizens. Fin- annually, we spend 50, uh, over $50 billion on this fucking war on drugs. Uh, it's ballooned the, the incarceration rate. Let's see. Uh, since 20, 2016, number of arrests for drug law violations is 1500000 500,000 over, over that amount. A lot of people arrested for marijuana violations is 89% of that number. <laughs> yeah. The number of people in the federal and state and local federal, state, and local prisons is 2,157,000 the highest incarceration in the world. Yeah, fifty-seven uh, percent. We of people... have, I
1: think, three percent of the world's population, but twenty percent of the jailed population. Yeah, and like, and like, I think it's like about one
2: percent of our whole population is in jail, which is yeah. so yeah. crazy. And fifty-seven
1: percent,
3: fifty seven percent of that is Black or Latino, even though uh, black sm- uh, sm- uh, black smoke weed at the same rates as white people. They're three times more likely to be arrested. And before you think, oh no, this can't be. This uh, the drug dealers. They have to be arrested more. Uh, when Nixon started war on drugs, which is where this, this whole uh, prison population started booming, a uh, Nixon aide, uh, John uh, Ackerman, who served as domestic policy chief, said, We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the, wa- uh, the war, the Vietnam War, to be against people who are against the war. So he was trying to go some people against the Vietnam War. Yeah. And we knew we couldn't be against people who are against the war, and we knew we couldn't be against uh, black people. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could, disrupt, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Nixon actually had an independent panel to study the effects of marijuana, and they basically told him it, it's largely harmless. Uh, and when he chose information, he basically accused the scientists of being a bunch of Jews. And you th- and you think I'm I've heard that before yeah. Yeah. if you think of that exaggerating Nixon literally uh, blamed Jews for tr- starting uh, drug use in America he thought uh, Jews in general were trying to spread uh, drug use in America and he thought uh, he, at, at last, uh, what, why is this so weird why are you using all these drugs trying to get high all the time and when he, like when he, for alcohol he said it was fine when you drink alcohol you're just trying to have a good time but these f- freak Jews and black people they're trying to get uh, high what <laughs> what, wasn't Kissinger Jewish? <laughs> I think he was actually yes. he was yeah. uh, whatever. the funny thing is about Nixon is that he was very conspiratorial that came out when when the uh, Watergate happened and he was trying to conspire against the DNC and basically that's where the, you know the projection shit kind of happened Yeah, uh, like yeah. really for, sorry, going full blast with Republicans because since he was a conspiracy theorist or conspirator himself he thought the other party was always conspiring against him so maybe since he knew G, uh, John uh, Henry Kissinger was of massive Conspirator, asshole, piece of shit. He thought all Jews were. I <laughs> yeah,
2: I know Jews. Look at Kissinger. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, Fox News is a creation after Nixon because they yeah. felt like uh, Watergate was unfair to him. Yeah, I too. <laughs> Literally, they like they created Fox News because they're like, you know, the, the the media's treatment of Nixon was so unfair. Uh, you know, we need a we need our version of the news. Jeez. In a
1: State of the Union, he said, uh, "We've had enough of Watergate. A year is enough." Like it's.
2: Yeah, they haven't found any evidence of collusion, but let's talk about Hillary's emails.
1: Nixon is a very intricate president. He has a lot of he did a lot of shit. Like we briefly mentioned, like as a joke, like the EPA stuff, like I would love to hear more people's, uh, you know, stand out takeaways from the Nixon presidency that maybe we didn't touch upon. So people should reach out to us in our Facebook group, oops I talk to issues or our discord and let us know what you think. Because, you know, I mean, Nixon sucks. If you're going to come tell us Nixon was a great president, you could probably just go fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. (laughs) But, yeah, I would love to hear some more shitty things Nixon did. Or maybe some other of the good things so we could find out why they were actually probably shitty. And, yeah, and also you should rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere. And, yeah. And also check out the network, comraderadio.com. You can find all the other great shows at the at comradradio.com and join our Facebook group P- Comrade Radio and indie podcast network because our head of the network is starting new like weekly discussion things that I he only just started a couple days ago so I don't know how I don't know what they're gonna be about but it might I'm I by now and we might be out all day <laughs> yeah but it should be they should be really cool so everyone should check that out and that's all I got so thank you guys for listening to oops I talk politics I've been trying to convince Sly that communism's secretly evil. I've been bitching about the liberals as always.
2: <laughs> I've been a man in sunglasses and a hat.
0: And I am definitely not a crook.
1: <laughs> Oops, I ended the podcast. Comradradio.com, independent podcasting network.